This morning, if you weren't here this morning, by the way, we reviewed a particular phenomenon called the, uh, or related to the Holy Spirit and seen in the book of Acts, and that is speaking in tongues. That's what we talked about this morning. And I said to you basically that the speaking in tongues that we know about today is not what is written about in the Bible. It's called the same thing, but it's not the same thing. Okay? And so we reviewed the history of how this doctrine or this thing called speaking in tongues modern day uh, practice, or rather how it grew, how it developed. And so there were four or five, you know, important points that I made. I want to review those for the first three minutes and then get into the word. First thing I said was that the teachings of Calvin and Wesley to uh, old theologians claimed that a person was chosen by the Holy Spirit for salvation and that this choice was evident in your life through some visible sign. That's where it all started. God chooses you to be saved through the Holy Spirit and you know that you're one of the chosen ones because there's something about you that's different. That was what Calvin and Wesley taught. Secondly, we said that the Pentecostal movement of the early 20th century uh, joined the idea of speaking this, what I call gibberish, not just me, I mean that's what psychologists who've studied it and others call it gibberish, uh, as the legitimate sign of the Holy Spirit's call helped to establish the Pentecostal churches in the United States. Remember I told you that before the 20th century, this business of speaking in tongues had not been mentioned at all in any uh, church for uh, 19 centuries. I mean, it was mentioned, of course, in the first century with the apostles and the first century church. But after the first century, historians did not refer to this anymore. It was not something that anyone did in the church for 18 centuries until the beginning of the 20th century. And we talked about that. We talked about how this tongue speaking was mistakenly called the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it was practiced uh, throughout the world in charismatic churches. And I gave you all the history of that. Uh, Parham and Seymour and of course Oral Roberts uh, probably uh, has the greatest responsibility for having spread this false doctrine in the 20th century because he did it on, on television. I also talked to you about the psychological profile that was made by sociologists and, uh, and um, various, uh, various individuals, psychologists, who studied over a period of 10 years uh, people who claimed to have this gift of speaking in tongues. And I shared with you the results of their research, of over 10 years of research, and the result was two things. One, it was a learned habit. And secondly, it was usually, not always, but usually learned through a, the techniques used in mass hypnosis. Tremendous uh, peer pressure, tremendous focusing on this one thing. And I shared with you my own experience in the Pentecostal church and I didn't say this, but that was exactly how I also thought I could speak in tongues. I mean, for days and days at the meetings, you know, it was over, you know, speaking in tongues and people doing it and doing it and doing it. And pretty soon I was going, you know, I'm saying, hey, I can do it too. Well, sure I could do it. I mean, I've been listening to it for two, three months. Of course I could do it too. You know, 
So it was, it was, uh, what, what that book said was exactly my own experience through tremendous peer pressure and uh, example. Then finally, I reviewed with you the dangers of falling into this trap of false teaching, which could lead away from the true gospel and faith in Jesus Christ to faith and dependence on an artificial sign. An artificial sign. Uh, one of the reasons why it's so difficult to study with folks who think they have this gift is that they believe that this thing that they do is the sign of their salvation, and if they were to give it up, they wouldn't be saved anymore. You know, which, is not, which is not true, of course. Tonight, we're going to see what the Bible says about tongue speaking. I, and don't get me wrong, speaking in tongues was a legitimate miracle, a legitimate thing. But the Bible describes what it was, and that's what I'd like to go over with you tonight. And, uh, you know, tonight's not a three-point lesson. You know, a three-point lesson usually easy to remember and all that stuff. All I'm doing tonight is I'm going to go over one script. I'm going to start in Matthew. Okay, actually, I'll start in Second Timothy. But then we're going to go to Matthew, and I'm going to go all the way through the New Testament. I'm just going to take one scripture out of time, every scripture that talks about tongues. And at the end of the 20 minutes, you'll see what the Bible teaches about tongues. You can decide for yourself. Biblical tongues. I'll put them all up there so you can read them at once. First of all, the Bible guides us in the search for truth. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Every scripture is inspired by God. The Bible is inspired by God. So we don't need an inspired teacher to guide us. Very important. We do not need an inspired prophet to guide us today. We have everything we need right here. The Bible contains all the information that we need in order to be saved, in order to live holy lives, in order to know God and to know Jesus Christ. Secondly, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 13, this one I'd like to, um, I'd like to read to you. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 13 and 14. Paul says, should go to 2 Timothy, be better. Paul says, uh, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Paul is saying that the Bible is the standard against which we measure all teaching. Sometimes people say, boy, you guys are rough, you know. You're rough on these other churches. You're rough on these other denominations, you know. No, we're not. No, we're not. All we're doing is we're taking what they have publicly taught and we're holding it up to the light of Scripture. Anyone has the right to do the same with what we teach? I challenge any other minister, any other Bible teacher to hold up to the light of the scriptures what we teach. I'm not worried about that. I'm, I won't be offended. I won't be worried. I'll be happy as a matter of fact. The Bible says the standard for what is true and right is not how you feel or what you've experienced. The Bible says the standard for what is true and what is right is the Bible itself. Nothing to do with feelings. You know, one other thing that's interesting, he says in verse 14, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you the treasure which has been entrusted. The, 
the reason, one of the reasons we have the Holy Spirit is to guard the Bible and to maintain it from one generation to the other. That's another, uh, that's another important thought. One of the reasons that we do teach about doctrinal matters, one of the reasons why I say this is what this group teaches, this is what this group teaches, and so on and so forth, and I compare it to the Bible and we're very strong on this idea, it's not to knock other people or hurt other people's feelings. It's to make sure that we retain the soundness of the word from one generation to the other. Because these young ladies and these young gentlemen here, these young Christians sitting in these first pews here, They are the ones who are going to be the Sunday school teachers and the Bible teachers and hopefully the preachers of tomorrow. And what I have found and discussed, as a matter of fact, with Dr. McMillan over at OC, we were kind of chatting about this problem of ministry students. And he said the single biggest problem with young men who are going into OC to train for ministry, they're not well grounded in the word. They're not well grounded in the word. They have to be, it was at one time they could start with these young men and just start teaching them the more difficult things about the faith because they assumed that all these young men had been grounded properly in their home congregations. They knew the difference between the Old and New Testament. They knew the stories. They understood the basic doctrines. They were solid. And they came to learn how to preach. Said, not anymore. Now, he says, we've got to go all the way back to the beginning and teach them all the ABCs because they're not being taught that in the local congregations. Well, I hope that that's not true in this congregation. I hope that any young man that leaves here and goes to any uh, training center, preaching school, college, whatever it is, will be solid in the faith. We will not get reports from professors and Bible teachers that our kids don't know the Word. I want them to know the Word, be solid in the Word. Now, what does the Bible teach about tongues, therefore? If it's the inspiration and if it's the, it's the standard, what does it teach? Well, there are several passages that teach about this phenomenon and give examples of it being done. And the way that you learn something is that you go to the Bible and take every passage that talks about that one subject and you read all of them and you kind of summarize what do they say. And that's what we're going to do tonight. They're not that many, so we're not going to be here all night. We start in Matthew chapter 28. So get your Bibles, old-fashioned Bible study. Get your Bibles. We're going to do them one at a time. Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says to the apostles, He comes up to them, spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here Jesus gives the Great Commission. And for the purpose of our study, we also see that he promises the apostles to always be with them in their work. That's a key idea. He says, I'll always be with you. All right, the question is, how is he always going to be with them? Okay? Well, the answer to that is in the next passage. In, in, uh, it, it says Matthew, but it should be Mark. It's a mistake there. It's a typo. It's not Becky's typo. It's an old typo from before. <laughs> Mark 16. Go to Mark 16. I want to hear those pages flipping. Mark chapter 16. He answers the question. 
He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it shall not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Jesus gives the same commission, and he explains in what way he will help the apostles in their work. He says the apostles will be empowered to do signs. And the ones that they lay their hands on will also be empowered to do signs. Now, the interesting thing, as far as our lesson is concerned, one of the signs, one of the ways that he's going to help them is this. He says, they will speak in new tongues. Literal translation is, they will speak in new languages. Languages that they never spoke of before. We'll talk about that a little later. So there's the promise. You're going to speak in new tongues. Okay? Now, Let's go to Acts chapter 1, verse 4. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, I don't have that one listed, but it's one that we need to do ahead of time. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus uh, gathers them together and he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, listen now, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Notice he doesn't say, you'll receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say that. He says, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I challenge you to read through the entire New Testament and see if you can find anywhere where it says, baptism of the Holy Spirit. You won't find it. You won't find it. It's baptism with the Holy Spirit. And as far as the apostles were concerned, baptism with the Holy Spirit was the empowering to do all those miracles, including speaking in tongues. That was what baptism with the Holy Spirit was all about. And on Pentecost, they received that thing. Okay, now, Acts chapter 2, verse 4. It says... You know, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. There's the baptism with the Holy Spirit, okay? And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Very, very important. The word utterance means to speak plainly in the Greek. It means as he gives them utterance, plain speech. No mystery here. Just as Jesus had promised, the Holy Spirit empowers the apostles and the first sign that they manifested of their new empowering was the gift of tongues. Okay, now we have to do a little grammar. The word tongues here in the Greek is made up of two words. The first word is glossa. And glossa in the Greek means a language. The second word is laos, and in the Greek that word means tribes, you know, like a tribe. And so the word, you know, we translate speaking in tongues. In the Greek, the word was glossa laos, glossa laos, which means the tongues of tribes. The, t- the Holy Spirit empowered them to speak the tongues of tribes. 
Every instance of this word in the New Testament, the Greek word that they use is for human languages. There is another word in the Greek for what's called ecstatic utterance. All right? But every time the Bible mentions speaking in tongues, it always uses the Greek word for a human language. The tongue of tribes. Okay? All right. Acts chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Very interesting. Now, it says, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because they each one, hearing them speak in his own language... And they were amazed and marveled, saying, Why are not all these, excuse me, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the district of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. What was going on here? The apostles clearly demonstrate their ability to speak in human language that they had not known or studied before. The New Testament even names the languages that they were speaking. I mean, it even goes to the trouble of, of listing all the languages that they were speaking. And that they were speaking them without special interpretation. The people understood, um, the people understood what the apostles were saying in their own language, which means that the apostles spoke clearly each particular language. It wasn't something, you know, I hear uh, people go bend themselves out of shape, you know, to make their own doctrinal point. Some people say, oh yeah, well they were speaking this like ecstatic language that nobody understood. And the miracle was that God enabled all the people out there to hear in their own language. But, you know, God doesn't go six blocks down the road to make a miracle. It says... Each apostle was speaking in a new tongue. And the people who were listening to them were understanding them in a, langu- in a known human language. And it even mentions the name of the languages. Clear speech. Alright, let's look at a couple more scriptures here. Acts chapter 10 verse 46 talks about Cornelius. I won't be able to read all the passages because some of them are long, but we can read this one. It says, uh, you know, Cornelius, you know the story, the Spirit falls on them. They begin speaking in tongues. And it says, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Cornelius spoke in other languages. And Peter and the others were understanding exactly what he was saying. In Acts chapter 19, Verse 6, it says, And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. 
This is a passage describing the Ephesians that Paul had rebaptized after Apollos had preached to them. And it says that after he had baptized them for the remission of sins, then he laid hands on them, he was an apostle, and then they received the ability to do miracles. And the first miracle that they did, these men, was that they spoke in tongues. Again, the same Greek word, glossaleos. They spoke in languages of tribes, which were understood by Paul and by Luke and by everyone there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, next passage. And I'll summarize this after, at the end here. I'm just going, I'm, these are all the passages that talks about tongues. There are, there are no, there are no others. In chapter 12 verse 10 it says, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit giving gifts to the first century church. Now, since Jesus promised only one gift of tongues, and that was the ability to speak in other languages without prior study, and at Pentecost this gift was given to the apostles, it was demonstrated and it was explained clearly by Luke, we must conclude that when Paul is talking to the Corinthians, he's talking about the same thing. He's saying the Holy Spirit gives the gift of speaking in tongues to other people, and he gives it through the laying on of hands of the apostles. Okay. Now, in verse 10, it says different languages, different from the ones that they knew. They knew how to speak Greek, so he gave them the gift of speaking in other languages. And verse 11 says the Spirit gave these but in all but one time, these gifts were given through the laying on of the hands of the apostles. If you go through the New Testament, okay, and you study every time somebody spoke in tongues, every single time except one time, it was as a result of the apostles laying hands on that person. And once the apostles laid hands on that person, that person could then begin speaking in tongues. Only one exception, and that was Cornelius. And the reason that Cornelius could speak in tongues is because he was used by God as an example to the apostles that even the Gentiles were to receive the gospel and were allowed to be baptized. And the only way that God could have to kind of demonstrate it to the apostles was to show a miracle through Cornelius. But other than Cornelius, no one ever spoke in tongues unless the apostles laid hands on them. All right, let's keep Going along, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, he says, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. You know, it's funny. No one today argues that prophecy is finished. There are no prophets today who predict accurately the future and predict that they... I mean... Some of them say, you know, I'm a prophet and I, you know, I can tell that you're angry and you have a spirit of anger. You know, that's not biblical prophecy. Biblical prophecy says in five years this is going to happen on this day exactly in this way. Paul says that type of prophecy will be done away with. And he says knowledge. In other words, miraculous knowledge. No studying. You know the will of God. You know, that'll be done away with. When? Well, when, the, when we have the Bible. We'll have all the knowledge right here. It's funny, no one argues the fact that these things will be done away with. 
Well, he also says tongues will be done away with too. Why do we try to hang on to that in the 20th century? It doesn't make any sense. The gift of tongues stopped and the Holy Spirit didn't do it directly anymore because he did that only for a special time and a special reason during the first century. All right, let's look at some others here. Uh, I'll give you the rest. There you go. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 12. Let me read that to you. It says, So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I shall pray with the spirit and I shall pray with the mind also. I shall sing with the spirit. I shall sing with the mind also. He goes on and on to talk about this. Um, let's see. Uh, when in the assembly, Paul is saying a tongue speaker makes uh, speaks only to God since no one else understands his language. I mean, if I, all of a sudden, je commence à parler en français et puis je, je commence à vous dire que Dieu est bon et Dieu m'aime, does anyone understand? Well, of course not. I understand. God understands, but none of you understand. All right. Now, thankfully, we have an interpreter in the audience. My wife, she speaks French. She understands also what I am saying. Paul is saying, what good is this gift of tongues to the assembly? If you start speaking in a language no one understands, you understand, God understands, nobody else understands, it's no good to you. So if you have that gift, make sure there's an interpreter. And so you can speak, and then the interpreter can get up and interpret for the church what you've said. That's the purpose of it. All right? Um, uh, let's see, verses 3 to 19 of course, I'm just repeating this here. The object is to edify and comfort and teach the church. And the gift that does that is the gift of prophecy, the gift of preaching and teaching. So he's saying to the church, don't try to get the gift of tongues. Try to get the gift of teaching and preaching. That's what builds up the, uh, that's what builds up the church. He says, better you have five words that people can understand than a thousand words that nobody can understand. What good is it? What if I preached my greatest sermon all in French to you? I'd feel good. God would understand, but who here would be edified other than my wife? No one would be edified. So he says, and I skip down a little down uh, uh, in verse 20. He says, brethren, you know, 1 Corinthians 14, 20 says, brethren, do not be children in your thinking. Yet in evil be babes, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written by men of strange tongues, and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign not to unbelievers, but for those who believe. If therefore the whole church should assemble together and all speak in tongues, and an ungifted man or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all and he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. you know, Paul says that tongues is a sign for unbelievers. The Old Testament said that the apostles would speak in foreign languages. That would be a sign that their message was legitimate. In Matthew or Mark 16, Jesus said they would have this particular gift. 
He goes on to say that the gift of prophecy is a sign or a gift for believers because the word builds up the church. Prophecy also convicts those who assemble with the church because they can preach the gospel and people can understand it. You know, non-believers who have no gift of tongues or interpretation, if they come in, they don't, and you're speaking in tongues, you can't understand what's going on. Okay? Then in verse 26, we'll run down again, he says, What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, each one has a teaching, each has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for interpretation, uh, for edification. The goal of the meeting of the church is to edify the church. And so everything should be done in an orderly way. And then he finishes up. I don't have time to read it up. In verse 27 and 40, he goes through and talks about the proper way to conduct yourself in church. He says there's a way to conduct yourself in the assembly and to use your particular gift. And he explains how that should be done. If you preach or if you prophecy, that's what prophecy was, to to preach, then one gets up and he preaches and the others listen. If there's a comment, a comment is given. If somebody has the miraculous gift of tongues, well, if there's an interpreter, let that person get up and speak in tongues and then let the interpreter interpret what was said. That was the proper way of doing things in the first century. In the end, he says, therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophecy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. And I have a lot of people today saying, see, right there it says, you know, you shouldn't forbid speaking in tongues. Well, of course not. He says, while the gift remains, there's a proper way of using it. You know, he wasn't telling the churches in the first century, don't speak in tongues because it causes confusion. No, he says, make sure you understand what the gift is and use it properly. But the gift doesn't exist anymore. And so we don't have that particular uh, injunction. All right, that's it. Those are the scriptures. There are no more that speak about tongues. I mean, there are a lot of terms, you know, slayed by the Spirit, drunk on the Spirit. You know, a lot of terms that people have invented, but none of them are biblical. And brothers and sisters, false doctrine and heresy always begins when you start adding names and ideas to the Bible that don't exist there. All right, so let's summarize, okay, real quick. What have we said so far? This is what we believe the Bible teaches. First of all, tongues, according to the grammar, is the language of humans. Human language. Not ecstatic language, not language nobody could understand. Human language. Sociologists and anthropologists have studied the tongue speakers and they have concluded that what they are speaking is no known language, either modern or ancient or primitive. It has nothing. It isn't a language. They call it gibberish. Number two, the ability to speak in tongues was the ability to speak a foreign language without study. Yes, I speak in tongues. You know, people make jokes and say, oh, you speak French, you speak in tongues. No, I don't. I speak a foreign language because I grew up speaking that language. The legitimate miracle was if I could speak Russian now. Okay, that's, that's the miracle. Or if I could speak Oki now. <laughs> could I get through the whole thing without saying that? I don't think so. <laughs> Actually, the miracle is understanding Oki, not speaking it. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. It, the, the legitimate miracle is to be able to speak a foreign language without 
uh, training. Thirdly, it was given to the apostles by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. You know, the baptism with the Holy Spirit empowered the apostles to do a variety of things, to heal and to have knowledge and, and, and to speak in foreign languages without prior training. And they demonstrated this ability on Pentecost Sunday. The Bible even lists all the languages that they spoke. Fourthly, uh, it was given to Cornelius as a sign by the Holy Spirit. This particular miracle was given to one Gentile in a miraculous way as a signal or a symbol to the apostles that the gospel was also meant for the Gentiles. Up, up till that time, the, the apostles were only preaching to the Jews. It took them ten years. Did you realize between Pentecost Sunday and Cornelius, ten years went by and the apostles were just preaching to the Jews. So finally, you know, God had to open their eyes that the gospel was also for the Gentiles. And he did this by allowing a Gentile to speak in tongues. And so that opened their eyes. And they and notice they baptized him right after that. Number five, it was given to others by the laying on of hands. It was a legitimate miracle, but only the apostles possessed it. And only those on whom they laid their hands. And we read in the book of Acts, for example, uh, Philip goes into Samaria and he begins preaching and he's doing all kinds of miracles. And a lot of people believe because of his preaching and the miracles. And it says in the book of Acts that Philip baptized all these people. But then he sent to Jerusalem for Peter and John who traveled to Samaria. And once the apostles were in Samaria, they laid hands on the people that Philip had baptized and immediately those people began to speak in tongues. Well, why didn't Philip lay hands on them? I mean, he could do miracles. He preached the gospel, but he didn't have the power to lay hands on them and transfer the gift. Only the apostles had that power. Number six, it is used as a sign for unbelievers in the first century. Okay? It was used outside to show unbelievers that the gospel was the true message of God. If you notice, uh, excuse me, at Pentecost it was used this way. Simon the sorcerer saw it and was impressed. And how do you think the apostles who were Galileans went all over the place to preach the gospel in countries and nations where they didn't know how to speak the language? Well, they did it because they could speak in tongues. Number seven, it, it was used as edification with interpreters. Whenever tongues were spoken within the assembly in the first century, it was used simply to encourage the church. And always when there was an interpreter. Okay? Uh, and then finally, it ceased when the apostles died. Because there was no way to, uh, there was no way to pass them on. Now how do we know that God has, you know, the question is, okay, the apostles died, but God could give it? You know, say God could do it? How do you know God didn't give this gift to all these people in all these charismatic churches? Well, very simple. Very simple. No one has ever demonstrated the biblical tongues. I mean, nobody's ever demonstrated that. That's the problem right there. Anytime someone comes to me, if my mother begins to speak Chinese, I will change my doctrinal position. But no one has ever demonstrated biblical tongues. 
Okay? And if there are no tongues, there are no other gifts as well. They all go together. You ever notice people have tongues, but they don't heal, they don't have wisdom, they can't prophecy, they can't do all the other gifts, just tongues. But in the Bible, if you had the tongues, you could do all the other stuff too. So, so, I don't have an overhead for the last few things. Why do I not believe that tongues exist today? And I know you open TV and you'll get 10,000 people in an auditorium and they all believe that they can speak in tongues. You know, And you say to yourself, well, by sheer numbers, you ought to believe it. I mean, if 10,000 people can't be wrong. Hey, listen, how many billions of people are there in China who are atheists? Does that mean atheism is right? We go by, we won't go by numbers or how big the cathedral is. That's not how you go. Why do I not believe tongues exist today? Number one, they're not human languages. It's only gibberish. It's only gibberish. It's not a human language. Number two, the Bible says utterance meant plain talk. They uttered in tongues. They spoke in plain languages. And that's not what this is. Number three, the apostles are dead, so there's no way to receive the gift. Number four, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that this gift would stop. Why do we have such a problem believing that? Number five, it's never used as a sign for unbelievers today as it was intended. That's the, the For me, that's the real point. The Holy Spirit says that the gift of tongues was used as a sign for unbelievers to impress them. Well, you know what? Nobody is ever impressed. As a matter of fact, Pentecostals never speak in tongues on TV. They never do it on TV. It's too weird. It's too weird. It's only used for mutual edification. If you ever went to a Pentecostal assembly, everybody's speaking tongues all at once. Well, that's unbiblical. The Bible says that's not the way you should do it. Number six, anthropologists have recorded African tribes reproducing the same thing. They've gone to African tribes and during their pagan rituals, they are using the same type of gibberish in their pagan rituals. Well, let's make up our minds here. Is it the gift of the Holy Spirit or is it something else? If it can be reproduced artificially, you know what? If you wanted, we could have a class next month. I could teach all of you how to do it. I could teach you how to do it. If it's a learned thing, it's not of God. It doesn't pass the criteria. Brothers and sisters, don't be afraid to believe the truth. Don't be afraid you're going to hurt somebody's feelings because you say, this is right, this is true, this is what the Bible says. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed of the truth to stand up for it. Don't be embarrassed. They should be embarrassed, not us. And then finally, the big argument, well, it's the tongue of angels. That's why you can't understand it. It's the tongue of angels. The language of heaven. It's what they speak in heaven. Only one problem. You go through the Bible, and every time an angel is speaking, he's speaking in a language that somebody can understand. 
You see, you have to be able to support what you say with the Scripture, not with your numbers or what your pastor said or whatever. You have to be able to support it with the, with the Word. What was it you told me today, uh, Bruce? Uh, oh, uh, so there's a movie where the guy says, show me the money. You know, you know that movie? Says, show me the money. That was a big deal. And they got all kinds of on the radio now. Show me the money. Show me the... You know what? Show me the Scripture. You know, I'll believe you. Just show me the Scripture and I'll believe you. You know, the ironic thing is that even if one could speak in legitimate tongues today, even if it was possible, okay, that person could not say anything different than what we've been saying all along. See, that's the ironic thing about all this. All the information pertaining to God and salvation and the church has already been given and recorded. Jude, verse 3. We don't need tongues to preach the gospel. We don't need tongues to comfort those who are struggling. We don't need tongues to teach and to edify the church. Everything we need for everything we need to do is right here in this word. We don't need anything else. A lot of intelligent and well-meaning people have been influenced by this 20th century phenomenon. Because, and simply because, they have not followed the teaching of the New Testament. That's the only thing. They go too far. They add things that are not there. Even if I could speak in tongues, my message to you would always be the same, brothers and sisters. Be saved. Love one another. Glorify God with everything in your life. Even if I could say it in all the languages of the world, the message would always be the same. If you need the prayers of the church tonight, I plainly, in the English language, encourage you to come to Christ for salvation and baptism. Come back to Christ to be restored if you've been unfaithful. Or come to the Lord if you need the prayers and encouragement of the saints. Do that now as we stand and as we sing.